This, is, this has a, been a, a great couple of weeks for us as we've been pressing into a new season here at Harvest, a new ministry season, a new um, uh, focus for this year. And this whole series we've been working on has been called Take a Step. And uh, the, the Bible has this analogy that it weaves all throughout the New Testament about how we're supposed to be walking with Christ in our lives as Christians, right? And this idea of taking a step and taking another step and another step. And so this series has been kind of um, looking at what does it look like to take these different steps of faith with the Lord and what is the next step that he's calling each one of us to take with him now. All of us are in a different spot, right, in our spiritual walks and our spiritual journeys with him. And, uh, but there's always another step that we can be taking with the Lord. No matter where we're at, what stage of life, what stage of our, our Christian um, life, there's always something else we can be doing to follow the Lord more closely. And so uh, we wanna be looking at that and just kind of asking the Holy Spirit through this series, what is that for me? What's that next step that you have for me um, as I'm following Christ? And so today we're gonna look at a new version of that. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter two. So if you've got a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter two. And we're going to be in chapter 2 and 5 in Ephesians today, and we're actually going to jump over to Colossians a little bit later as well, but that one's pretty close, so you can find it pretty easily. So as we look at this next uh, step that Scripture shows us that is uh, part of the Christian journey, it's going to be talking about stepping into Christ's work. And um, many of you know that, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a big basketball fan. My, it's my favorite sport by far. I used to play basketball. I love to watch basketball still. I'm excited that NCAA is kicking off soon here. Um, I'm going to get things rolling again this fall. But one of the things I always appreciated about basketball, I think the reason I liked it so much as a sport is because it's such a, uh, a team sport. Like every person has their role, has their position that they have to do. And if they don't do their role or their position, the team's not going to win. Right? They're not going to get to the end goal. They're not going to achieve their mission if everybody's not doing the position that they've been assigned and the roles that they've been given. Well, very much for us as believers, we are on God's team, if you will, okay? Just extend the analogy a little bit. And what we're going to see today in Ephesians is that because he has called us to be followers of Christ, because we're on the team, he has a very specific role and position that he has prepared for each one of us to fulfill, in this work, in this mission that he's called us to. And so our job is to then listen to and find out from the Lord, what is that role that you've called me to? What's that position that you're asking me to fill so that the work of the Lord can continue to move forward as everyone does their part together, right? So today what we're gonna see from Ephesians chapter two is this, that God uses my walk to fulfill his mission as I work for Christ. We've been talking about walking in the last couple of weeks. Now this is the next part. Walking fulfills the mission as I work for Christ, as I do the part that he's assigned to me. So look at chapter 2 there in Ephesians. Look at verse 10 is where I want to start this morning. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the first thing we see here in Ephesians is that I am created to work for Christ. You and I, every human being that's ever been created, Scripture tells us that we were created as his workmanship. Right? That God created each one of us. That we are his, his, um, his, his creation for a specific purpose and mission. Right? He doesn't just make stuff randomly. He didn't just throw, throw us out there into the universe saying, all right, now you guys figure out what's, what's going to happen here. Right? 
God had a master plan that he was orchestrating, and in that plan, he created each one of us as his personal workmanship for a purpose, for a mission. And it says here that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Those of us who have been called as Christians to follow Christ, maybe you're not there yet. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Christ, you haven't yet put your faith in him, that's okay. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here exploring and asking questions and looking for the things of God. But for those of us who have already taken that step, who have been called into that, we've been created and called because it says right here that he has good works for us to do. That the sole purpose that he created us is that we would come along and fulfill the good works of Jesus Christ. And what are those good works? Well, they can look lots of different ways, but ultimately it's anything that pleases or honors the Lord. Anything that he tells us to do or calls us to do that is pleasing and honoring to him, that is the good work from which he has prepared for us in our role and in our mission as his workmanship. And so I think what's important here to understand, friends, is that the purpose that you were created for on this earth is this. It's these good works of Christ. You weren't created to just grow up, get an education, get a good paying job, buy the house, buy the two cars, have the kids, live the American dream. Like that's that's not your purpose in life. That's not the reason you were created. You were created by God for his good works, which is so much better, which is so much more fulfilling, which has such greater meaning for us. And he says right here that we were creating Christ Jesus for good works. We're going to talk a little bit more later about the good works part, which God prepared beforehand. Again, point to the fact that this isn't something that he just kind of figured out along the way. God had a master plan. This was all part of his master plan from before the beginning of time that he already had you chosen for this specific time, this specific place to fulfill a role and a position in his good works of the kingdom. You're chosen for that. And he says beforehand that we should walk in them. I think when you really take time to think on this, it's a little bit hard for us to fathom sometimes because what it's saying here is that God has already planned and prepared every step of your faith journey in Christ. He knows every step you're going to take. He knows every step that he wants you to take, that he's called you to take. It's all already planned. And I think what's difficult for us sometimes in that, being human as we are, is that we have to come to grips with with the fact that it's according to his plan and not our plan. Anybody ever experienced God's plan? You're like, yeah, I would have done it differently. Anybody ever had that? Right? Like you're like, I would I would have chose a different path for that one. Like that, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have lined it up that way. But God says, that's that's not up to you. I have a plan. I have prepared beforehand for you to walk just in this. And as much as that might freak us out or bother us at times, that's actually a really, really great thing for us as Christians. 
Because that takes all of the weight and all of the pressure off of me. I don't have to be the one to figure out how it's all going to work. I don't have to be the one to figure out the plan about exactly how we're going to do this thing and how I'm going to get from A to B, how I'm going to achieve this goal or, or get this thing for God. Like God has that already figured out. I don't have to carry the weight of the plan. I just have to walk in it. I just have to be willing to faithfully take the step of following the plan that God has already prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, sometimes it's so much easier and so much nicer to just be the Indian instead of the chief. <laughs> um, this summer, I got the privilege of taking a group of 15 people from our church on a mission trip. We went down to uh, Memphis, Tennessee, worked with this great uh, organization called Street Reach. It was a fantastic week of just building relationships, growing in Christ, and getting to just pour the gospel into these, these inner city kids there that we were ministering to. It was fantastic. But there were a couple times, several times actually throughout the week, where they would come to me, because I was the one, you know, leading the trip from our church. They'd be like, all right, so what are we doing tomorrow? Or what are we doing next? Or how's this going to work? Or how's that going to work? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not in charge of that part. I'm just along for the ride. And it was glorious. <laughs> right? Like, like I, I didn't have to be the one who had the plan. I, I, we, were just, we were just there serving, and whatever they told us to do, that's what we were going to do. And just sometimes it's so much nicer to not have to be the chief, to just be able to just go with the flow. That's what God's asking of us. You are not the chief of your own spiritual life. That's God's job. Your job is just to walk in the path that he lays out before you. Just to go with the flow, if you will. So the first thing we need to see here is that my walk with Christ includes doing the good works that he has planned for me. It's not up to me to figure that out. It's not up to me to make that decision. I just need to walk in the good plan that God, the good works that God has planned for me. So now flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. And now Paul's going to take this idea of walking in good works. And he's going to flesh that out for us a little bit more. Like what does it look like to do that? What, what, what are these good works that we're supposed to be walking in and how do we do that? So look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. There's our walking analogy again, right? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So point number two is this. Christ's good works start with love. We have to make sure we get this order right. It starts with love. Because if we try to get going down the path of, okay, I'm going to do good works for God, and I'm going to do this and do this and do this, we can get ourselves into this trap of thinking that somehow we're actually the one running the plan and that we're somehow earning something with God. Let's just be clear this morning. We don't earn anything with God. We are completely undeserving of everything that God gives us. It's all his grace. 
So when we're talking about good works this morning, we're not talking about earning salvation or earning a spot in heaven or earning God's good favor. That's not what good works do in this context. These good works don't get us God's love. They flow from God's love. The love comes first. Look at what Paul says. He says, walk in love. And here, when he defines love in this way, he doesn't define it with words or with emotions or a lot of the ways that we would define love in our culture today. He defines it with action, with works. He says, walk in love as, here's the definition, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. When Paul tells us to walk in love, he points us to the work of Christ in the gospel as the example and as the starting point to define what that love looks like. See, Christ's love is embodied in the fact that he came for sinners like us. Right? We talk about this a lot here at Harvest. Like, every one of us as humans, even though we were created by God for his workmanship, for good works, and he had a great plan for us, bottom line was when we were created, we were given the opportunity to make a choice, and we chose to rebel. We chose to sin against God. We have this sin nature inside of us that just drives us to be rebellious and to go our own way and do our own thing. And we reject God's word and we reject what he has to say. And that leads to sin in our life that separates us from God. That because of God's holiness, the only thing that we deserve from God as sinners is judgment and wrath and hell. That's all we deserve. But God, in his great love, in his grace, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth, to be born as a man, to walk a perfect and sinless life on this earth, and then voluntarily go to the cross and give that life as an act of love to pay for our sin. He stood in our place and he took the death that we deserved so that our sin could be paid for and we could be forgiven. And he died and he was buried in the grave. And three days later, praise the Lord, he came back to life to prove that he was God and to say, listen, if you will come, if you will come, if you will turn from your sin and come and believe in me, I will forgive your sins and I will cover them in grace and love and you will be one with God the Father again. That's how Paul defines love here the good works of Christ on our behalf. Christ's love looked like working for God to fulfill his mission of redemption and salvation for us. And that has to be the start, the starting place of our good works as well. Christ's love for us on the cross, our love for him in response and then our love for others as it flows out of the gospel change in our lives. If we're going to walk in Christ's good works, we have to start with love. You know, Thanksgiving is uh, one of our favorite holidays around our house, and uh, mainly because it's all about food. Um, and so, not, it's not really all about food. I'm sorry, that was... Maybe that, was a, maybe that was a slip, but um, 
And just as a PSA this morning, we're only 59 days away from Thanksgiving, by the way. So we are coming up on it. Um, so start making your plans now. But, um, but the last couple of years, Courtney has volunteered to host family Thanksgiving at our house. And so like all extended family kind of come in and we do this thing, and which means she spends hours planning food and tables and chairs and decor and games and stuff that I would never plan. I would just be like, there's food. All right, that's what we do. Uh, but she puts all this stuff out and she spends all these hours preparing the, the meal and she's up in the middle of the night sometimes or early in the morning cooking certain things to get it all ready and to get it just right so that our family can come and have a fantastic Thanksgiving dinner. So why does she do that? of love right it flows from the love that she has for our family her good works don't earn their love it's an outpouring of her love in response to the relationship the good works that god created for us to walk in that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them they have to start with his love. His love that comes and fills us as we believe in Jesus Christ and he changes our hearts to love him and to love others. So we have to have that foundation. Otherwise, good works can go sideways really quickly. Right? So good works, they start with love. To do Christ's good works, I need love. Bottom line. So that's the first thing. Then there's more here that Paul tells us about doing these good works. So go ahead and look further down in chapter 5, look at verse 3. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that the, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Here it is. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Third point this morning is this, Christ's good works replace sin. There's this part of the Christian walk that is not just doing good works, but it's also ridding ourselves of what Paul calls here the works of darkness, of sinful works, to make space, to make room for the good works. All right, he says right here, he, Paul, he, in verse 3, he starts rattling off this long list of sins, right? And he goes through all these different sins, and then he says this. He says, and at one time, you were darkness. <laughs> like, don't forget that there was a point in your past that this was you. 
You are the one caught in sin. You are the one stuck in the sins of this world. He says, but now, now you are light. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, your heart has been changed. You no longer walk in the ways of darkness. You now walk in the light of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. The old has been replaced with the new. He says, just as your heart has been changed from the old sinful ways to the, to the, to the ways of the Holy Spirit and light and holiness, so, so like that our walking has to change. He says, walk as children of light and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Christ calls us to good works for him and for his kingdom, but he also calls us out of the sinful selfish works of darkness. Paul says that good works are actually what are supposed to replace the old sinful works in our life. It's supposed to be this exchange, one for the other, that as we turn away from sin and we give up those practices, we then fill that space in our lives with the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When I look back on kind of my biggest times of trouble and sin and stuff like that in my life, it occurs to me that most of the time it comes about, it comes around when I'm in the middle of idle time. Right? Like, it's when I don't have anything better to do, when I'm bored, when there's something, when there's no other, there's not something better for me to focus on, that sin starts to creep in. Like, even as a little kid, like, I remember that one summer. I was home from school, bored. I thought, you know what? I got some firecrackers left over from 4th of July. We'll just throw these in the skillet, put that on the stove, <laughs> Home Alone style, you know. Let me just tell you, that movie lies. Like there, like there was way more smoke and way more firecracker papers everywhere <laughs> in that house. And so I'm trying to clean it all up and get it all put back together and, and before my parents get home. And my stepdad comes home early from work that day, of course. And he's asking me, like, what happened? And so I, I tell this big elaborate lie to cover up what I had done. All because I was bored. Or even worse, like in kindergarten, end of the day, sitting at the table, waiting for the bell to ring. Like, you know, you got five minutes till the bell's going to ring. You're getting ready to go home. You're just waiting, counting down the minutes. Nothing to do, completely bored. Little boy dares me to glue another girl's backpack to the desk. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea, right? Just bored. Or high school, you know, weekend, empty house, extra resources. Why not have a party? Until the cops come and people get hurt and people have to get bailed out and things happen, right? Like, I'm just saying, like, when, when, it's, when there comes this point where we just have time and extra resources and extra, like, just, and we don't have anything to focus that energy into, the natural bent of our heart is to turn that towards sin. To turn, turn that towards things that are, are darkness, Paul says. You remember that old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop? There's some truth in that. 
So often the reason we get involved in sin is because we have time, energy, and resources without direction or purpose outside of ourselves. So we start to fill our extra time with other things, with substance abuse or immoral relationships or materialism or gambling or overeating or gossiping or spending hours crafting that perfect image on social media. And Paul's saying, listen, wake up. Like, wake up. You were created for so much more than that. You were created for such a bigger and better purpose. You were created for better works than this. Stop giving yourself to all these things that don't matter and are going nowhere and are just full of darkness. And walk in the works that God prepared beforehand the good works of Christ for your life. When we embrace the purpose and the calling that God has given us, then we start filling our lives with the good works of Christ instead of the bad works, the hurtful works, the shameful works of darkness. Paul says one more thing here. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. He says, instead, expose them. If you've got some unfruitful works of darkness in your life still right now, you might be a Christian. You might have been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years. But you've still got some things in your life that are not good works of Christ. The only way you're going to get rid of those, the only way you're going to replace those is by first exposing them. It's by being honest about what it is, calling it, naming it the sin that it is, and allowing that to be an, an honest, transparent conversation with your own heart. Because until we really confess and expose those works of darkness that we're holding on to, then we won't be able to shun them. We won't be able to refuse them when they come against us again. And they will come against us again. It's the way this world works. But if I've named it, if I've called it what it is, if I've taken scripture and said, no, that is this, that is sin, that is not what I have in Christ, then when that temptation comes, I can call it what it is, I can say I'm turning from that and I'm walking in the good works of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't work until I expose them for what they are so they can be replaced with the good works of Jesus. And Paul says if we do this, he says, then Christ will shine on you. This is where the victory comes. And once you have that, once you are able to, to turn from the works of darkness, you're able to walk in the good works of Christ, then you're ready to be used by Christ to help and serve and love others in this same journey. To do Christ's good works, I must make space by removing my sinful works. 
You don't have enough time. You don't have enough energy. You don't have enough resources. You don't have enough life for both. You can't walk in the sinful works of darkness and still have ability in your life to walk and serve the Lord. You've got to replace one with another. Paul keeps going here in chapter 5, though. Look at verse 15. He says, then look carefully then how you walk, still in the same analogy here, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Point number four, Christ's good works are urgent. Do you feel the urgency in Paul's language here in verse 15 he says walk not as unwise but as wise okay great we want to walk wise how do we do that paul making the best use of the time friends we are on a clock do you understand that this morning we do not have unlimited time here on this earth We have a very limited window, actually, to fulfill the good works that God has given us to do. And so Paul says, make the best use of the time. One day, time will end for you, either by death or by Christ's return. For every one of us, there's going to come a point where time ceases And none of us knows when that day will be. And so Paul says, you must be urgent in doing the good works of Christ. You must be urgent in doing what he's called us to do because we only have a limited amount of time. Make the best use of the time because, he says, the days are evil. Does it feel like you could be writing this in 2021 to anybody else? Right? Like, but this has always been true. Listen, guys, the world's not getting any better. We're not waiting for this one day to just finally evolve into some utopia here. Do you understand that? Like, that's not moving that direction. The days are evil. We live in a broken world, and it's going to be that way until Christ returns. And so we have to make the best use of the time that we have here and now to redeem what we can redeem and to call the lost to Jesus and to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to respond to the gospel. He says, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. We talked about the will of the Lord a little bit last week, right? How to know the will of the Lord. But I can tell you one thing for sure. For all of us, 100%, the overarching will of the Lord for everyone here is his mission and his purpose. To bring salvation to as many as are willing to respond. To call the church to worship to call the church to glorify him, to continue to be a light in a broken world. That's always his will. Always. And this should always be our top priority. This should always be our number one concern with the use of our time is am I fulfilling the mission of God to reach a lost and dying world? 
Many of you know that my um, father-in-law recently passed away. Uh, we're actually having his funeral this coming week, and, um, but, but many of you don't, maybe didn't know him personally, you hadn't met him. So let me just tell you a little bit about Homer Britton. Um, Homer never graduated college. He never had his name in lights or made a million dollars. He was very much a, a simple man who loved Jesus, loved people, and loved barbecue. In that order. For decades, he had a little barbecue restaurant in their small town, and he would serve up the best pork steaks around, and he would help anyone in need. But one of the things that struck me most about Homer over the years that I've known him is that he literally told everyone he met about Jesus. Like, he had an urgency about him that I so highly admire. He would meet any stranger in the store, on the street, in the hospital, wherever, and he would always say the same thing. He said, have you heard the good news? And they would say, what's that? He said, Jesus loves you, and I love you. And he would go on to ask them about their faith and to tell them about their need for salvation. And he did this with literally, literally, every, I'm not exaggerating, literally everyone he came in contact with. And I believe that Homer, in his simple way, probably witnessed to more people in his lifetime than anyone else I have ever met. And he did it because he believed what Paul said here. He believed, make best use of the time because the days are evil. He didn't want anyone to run out of time without a chance to believe in Jesus Christ. That is a good work of Christ. That is urgency for the mission of Christ. When I think about my life, when I look around us in our city and our culture, so many of us are urgent about a lot of things. A lot of things that ultimately are not going to matter nearly as much as the kingdom of God. We're urgent about all of our kids' sports opportunities and making sure that they're in every league in the right spot in all the years so they can grow up and get that scholarship or become that pro athlete or whatever they're going to do you think is going to happen. And we toil and we run around like crazy making sure they're in every single thing they can be in. We're urgent about our college admission and making sure we're getting into that college of our choice and the right program so we can have the, the career that we want, we can have the location that we want. We're urgent about our sales reports and our profit margins. We've got to build that business. We've got to make sure that we have the, the income that we want. We've got to, to build the empire. We're urgent about that upcoming vacation plan that we so desperately need that we spend hours and hours and hours toiling over it to make sure that it's just right. We're urgent about that new purchase, getting that new iPhone that's exactly like the last iPhone <laughs> with a 2% better camera. Or that new car or that new boat or whatever your thing is. 
we're urgent about our plans for retirement, making sure that we can do all the things that we want to do one day. We are urgent about a lot of things in this life. More than we're urgent about the will of God and the mission that he's given us. Many of us need to take a step in putting the good works of Christ above our own agendas and our own priorities. To do Christ's good works, I must not waste any time. Stop wasting time on all the other stuff. I'm not saying those are bad things. Please hear me. I'm not saying you can't play sports or your kids can't or you can't have a business or you can't like go on vacation. None of those are bad things. They're just not the main thing. So we need to make sure that we're putting our time and our effort in the right place. All right, last thing I want to show you, and then we'll close up today. Flip over to Colossians. If you're in your Bible there, just go to the right, a book or two. Go to Colossians chapter 4. One more thing that we see here about these good works that we're called to walk in. Colossians 4 verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The last thing is this. Christ's good works include witnessing. So there's very similar language here to Ephesians that we just read, right? Same thing, walk in wisdom, make the best of the time, like Paul's kind of repeating himself, but he adds this phrase. He says, towards outsiders. So now he's specifically pointing, listen, sometimes the good works of Christ are not within the church, they're not with each other, they're not with the Lord, they're with non-believers, Sometimes good works is reaching out with the gospel to call the lost to salvation in Jesus Christ. That's part of the mission that we're called to. We are sent to tell others the good news of Jesus. And he tells us how to do it. He says, let your speech, which by the way is a key part of witnessing. (laughs) It's not enough to just live a good life. You have to open your mouth and actually speak the gospel He says, let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. Another way to say that is let your speech, let your gospel, let your witness be full of grace and truth. That's what Jesus was, right? In the gospels, it tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth, both, all the time, 100%. This means whenever we share our faith, when we share the good news of Jesus, when we're witnessing to somebody, we don't just badger them or bully them or beat them over the head with it until they finally relent. Okay, fine, I'll say the prayer. And there's no grace in it. That's not not good witnessing. It also means that we're not so gracious and kind and generous that we just love them, but we never tell them about their sin, that they actually need a Savior. They need the truth of the gospel as well. Both are necessary, Paul says. If we're going to walk in the good works, if we're going to be a good witness for Christ, 
We have to tell people the good news with both grace and truth. I was thinking about this this week. Do you guys remember a few years back at one of the Olympic Games, I think it was Rio, where some of the U.S. swimmers went out one night and got themselves in some trouble, right? They went out kind of partying, and then they made some bad choices and broke a few laws and then told a lie to the cops to try to cover it up. Well, when we go back and look at it now, kind of, you know, with all the details, like the, the, the laws they broke, the, the, the crimes they did were actually pretty minimal. Like it was probably just a little bit of vandalism. They could have paid some money, it would have been fine. The crimes weren't really that big of a deal. The big deal was the embarrassment that they brought to the name of their country. Which highlights a very important thing about the Olympics is it's not just going and winning medals. That's, not, that's part of the work, right? But it's not just going and winning medals. It's also representing your country well on the world stage to everyone else. It's being a good representative, a good ambassador, a good witness, if you will, to your namesake. That's what the Bible calls us to as Christians. It's not just going out and doing the work of ministry. It's not just checking the boxes and doing all the right things. And it's not just the work of it. It's also the witness Are we being a good representative of Christ? Are we showing the love of Christ? Are we preaching the truth of the gospel? Are we actually representing the name of Christ well when we witness? That's part of the good works. It's a both and. And so we are sent out, every one of us, we are sent out to fulfill the mission. Work and witness. They go hand in hand. I said earlier that God uses my walk to fulfill his mission as I work for Christ. He's prepared it beforehand. He's he's already got a plan. He's already got a purpose for you. He's got a, a spot for you in the mission. And part of walking with him, part of following him, is being willing to walk in the plans that he has made so that we can work and witness for Jesus. So what does your work for Christ look like? Like if you were to do, this is a self-assessment, if you were to do an assessment of your, your time, your money, your resources, your energy right now, how much of that is being used to work for Christ, for his mission, for his purposes? Are you helping to work to make disciples in the love of Christ? Are you making disciples in your home with your kids or grandkids or spouse? Are you helping make disciples here at our church? Are you involved in a small group? Some of you have the ability and you have the competency to help make more disciples here, but you've not yet given yourself to the work. You've not yet given yourself to the time and the investment that it's going to take. And we have all kinds of new people coming to our church that are ready to be discipled. 
but we need more ways to do that. We need more small groups. Some of you need to step up and be an apprentice small group leader. Some of you are ready to take a small group and help relieve some of these small groups that aren't very small anymore. Maybe you, I mean, like, I can't, my adults freak me out. Like, I don't want, I can't do that. Like, I can't teach adults, I can't. Okay, we have all kinds of ages that need to be discipled here. Maybe you need to be helping out with the student ministry, discipling these teenagers. They need some good, godly voices that are speaking into their lives. They're getting plenty of other voices, right? They need some here. Maybe you need to be discipling our kids. We have a whole slew of kids over there that need to be brought up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you working to make disciples? Are you doing your part? Are you going with urgency to witness for God? Are you looking, are you praying for opportunities to share the good news with people at work, with your neighbors, with your family? Are you broken over the sin and the lostness that's all around you that Christ has called you to step into? This is what it looks like to truly work for Christ. So maybe that needs to be your next step in your faith journey. Maybe it's a step of working for Christ. Maybe it's taking a step to that next level and how you're gonna serve the kingdom. I wanna pray right now. I want you just to take this moment as I pray, just to talk to the Lord and ask him, what of this applies to you? Of what you've heard today, what if it applies to your heart, your situation right now? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. We thank you, God, for another opportunity to come into your presence, Lord, to be with your people, to worship you, God. This is highlight of our week. But God, we know we come here not just for us, not just to get a good feeling out of it, not just to get revved up again. Lord, we come here for you because you are our God and that you created us and you chose us for your great purposes and for your mission. So God, we are honored to get to follow you. We're honored to get to work for you. But God, right now we're just asking you to help us. Show us, Lord, what it looks like. What's that next step of work that you're calling us to? Help us to be diligent and urgent in our working, in our witnessing, Lord. Help us to live as sent people sent out into the world on your behalf, full of love and truth for those who give us, you give us to serve and to teach. Lord, speak to us today. Help us to take a new step for you. Pray all this in Christ's name.